0: Welcome! This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker.
1: And I'm Christy Purifoy, and every week we share an out-of-the-ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story, too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations
0: about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves.
1: We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy.
0: Here we go. Chrissy, I feel in that weird position where we're coming off a real high from last week because our episode last week was called Narnia for Grownups. I listened to the whole thing myself in the car when I was doing a bunch of driving this week, and I confess to getting like choked up. Mm-hmm. a conversation i was part of which is probably weird <laughs> you should probably you should probably not be allowed to do that but it was one of the most meaningful conversations for me personally that we've had it married all of my loves like pop culture netflix movies poetry the entomology of words space travel <laughs> cs lewis mm-hmm. like, magic mm-hmm. um in just all the most meaningful ways. And it was very special because we heard from so many different people. So many of you messaged us. And actually, I heard from quite a few people who started their messages this way I've been a listener for years, but have never sent you a message.
1: Yeah. Those and, are the best. <laughs> or
0: I've followed you for years and I've never reached out, but I had to after this week. Those are very meaningful to us to know that what we are learning as we have these conversations is actually touching something. That you needed to learn too, which is so meaningful. So on one level, I feel like I'm on this high after last week, and I want to come on here and have like another beautiful conversation (laughs) that's very meaningful and deep. But to be really honest, I'm having a week, though, where I feel like if you're looking at a garden and we were in yours this week, and you look at just the glory of the peonies in bloom or the bearded irises, that is not like the focus of my week. I feel like it's been much more dealing with weeds. Mm -hmm. Like the pulling of weeds is just mundane and exhausting. And in my life this year, this week, I feel like I'm just stuck with weeds. And what I mean is this, we can have these conversations that are very otherworldly is how they feel. But we live here, in a human world that has weeds and in my life weeds look like like the administration of life emails dealing with school evaluations jackson wants to apply for a summer job and i have to now like take him to a bunch of grocery stores so he can fill out forms like it just feels like part of my brain is wonders, why can't I just live in this world where Christy and I have deep conversations and we look at bearded irises and talk about C.S. Lewis and drink tea? You know, that is, (laughs) like, I want to just stay there.
1: I know. But now
0: I'm back on earth and I am dealing with email that just pops up all the time, like, just Weeds everywhere and I never get caught up and I'm annoyed by it all the time and I wish I could erase the weeds from my life, but I've come to recognize, and it's bizarre to me, I'm using a gardening metaphor, clearly you're in my head, (laughs) but that is like, is that you? Like the day-to-day of life just feels like the weeds that have to be pulled if you want your garden to look like your garden does. So there we go. I'm just being real honest. I'm not having, I'm not on the cosmic plane today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm much
1: more down here in the weeds. Oh, I feel it too, Lisa Joe. Yesterday, talk about a weedy day. I had so much work to do, but there was a really necessary errand for some house repairs we have to do in one of our bathrooms and um i had to go to a tile store like this i had to take precedence i had to um get the match of the tile in order for somebody to do their work and it couldn't be put off but i thought i'll just run out i'll get it done and then i'll come straight home and i'll have a whole day to get to these tasks that really matter lisa joe <laughs> four and a half hours later <laughs> i was texting jonathan as i left the tile store with the weep the weeping face emoji <laughs> like <laughs> I hadn't eaten. I felt like I was going to pass out, but I, I had been tra- trapped. It felt like trapped in the tile store <laughs> for four and a half hours. Christy? I'm laughing because we lived the same
0: day. What was wrong with yesterday? Yes. So yesterday, I was supposed to take our dog to a vet appointment And we scheduled for 9 o'clock on purpose because, like you, I too had a full day, and I knew I would have to wait for two hours. It's a procedure the dog needed. But I was excited because close to the vet was a home goods store and TJ Maxx, and so I had planned my day, and so I occupied myself from 9 to 11 when the dog was supposed to be done. And at 11.30, I called the vet and asked what was happening. And they said, oh, Cleo is next to be seen. And I was like, wait, what? And they'll be like, they said, oh, she'll be ready by 2.30. (gasps) Yes. I spent five hours essentially in a parking lot waiting for this dog. And there had been a miscommunication and just as life is, weeds, 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 right? But I mean, that isn't how I planned to spend the day. It was so dumb. And then I got home and I had said, Peter, similar weepy face emoji. The only good thing for me is there was like a California taco store that I could go and get fish tacos for lunch while I waited. I sat in the car and ate them and there were all these gross cicada shells all over the place. (laughs) And then when I got home, I had like an hour before I had to take the boys to something. And I just thought, how is this my life? Like, are there people who just live somehow where they don't deal with email, they don't run errands, they don't stock their grocery, they don't have to freak out because they're down to half a roll of toilet paper Mm -hmm. for five people, which we Mm -hmm. discovered last night. so now (laughs) someone has to run out and get toilet paper. Like, why are these the things that are part of managing my life at nearly 50 years old? I'm still in the weeds, Christy.
1: Right, right. Weeds like I've been driving around in this minivan that has had the service overdue light flashing <laughs> for like two weeks. Yes. And I know it's because we need an oil change, but like who's who's gonna take Who the van in time? for the oil change? And empty um no washer fluid in the so every uh, time I click the, the oh I the oh, wind I gotta screen. clean the window yeah. and then oh no, it's still empty. These are the weeds. So Lisa Joe, you know, I'm I'm in my garden a lot right now. And the interesting thing about the garden right now, at the end of May here at Maplehurst, is that it looks perfect. Mm, it looks gorgeous. perfect. It is a moment where everything looks exactly right. Bugs haven't munched on the leaves yet. There are no insect hordes invading. There aren't, as far as you can see, there aren't weeds. Nothing has grown too tall and flopped over. Um, there are no flowers that have faded and need to be cut off. Every, the roses are just beginning to bloom. The iris you mentioned are, you know, just bursts of color. Everything looks perfect, except I'm the gardener. I take care of this place, and I know what's really happening. If, when I go out there, I see this layer of perfect— but because I'm the gardener, I know the space, I care for it year-round, I look a little bit closer, I part maybe a couple of the taller plants, and I see something. I see an invading army <laughs> of weeds called, oh, they're horrible, Japanese stilt grass And I think you have this too, because I remember yes. you and Peter sending me desperate photo messages at one point about this like soft green grass that was taking over all it's of your bed over my whole life that's what it is and so it it's happy with like it doesn't need much sun so it's evil clearly it just can grow anywhere <laughs> and so it, it will start to grow underneath all the other plants because it doesn't really need sun and you won't see it may it's just perfect but if you like lift a leaf or look between, you will see like a haze of green that pretty soon will shoot up past your iris and your roses and everything else and cover, smother the garden in like um, soft green bamboo-like foliage. Um, And like your garden will literally disappear overnight. And Unless you, you know, are on top of it. And so, I, this conund- the conundrum for me right now is, do I sit in the garden and enjoy the beauty and what looks like perfect? Or do I get busy pulling up the stilt grass that I can see under there? It's coming. Um, I don't know. I a little bit of both. But because we were there on Sunday mm-hmm. and we sat
0: in that mm-hmm, garden mm-hmm. Listener, prepare to be jealous. I apologize for making you covet. It was as near to perfect as a garden could be. It has the paved little pebbled paths and the table and chairs set in the very center of the garden where we sipped limoncello and ordered my favorite Italian style pizza. I mean... It was everything out of a storybook in that moment because, guess what? I get to leave. I get to come and enjoy the garden, but I don't have to weed it. I don't even have to care that there's weeds growing. But it's so comforting to hear because when I come home to ours, which Pete and I are more sporadic gardeners, and I'm, I'm learning this, you have to stay on top of it. So there are places where I sat... All day the day before we came to your house, and just weeded our walkway because there are just weeds everywhere. It looks like the walkway; it's a brick walkway. It looks like it's grown a beard because there's (laughs) so many weeds. And then I saw a picture that Joanna Gaines shared on Instagram that I sent you because they must have—I mean, their walkway's got to be five times the length of ours. It's so glorious, nary a weed in sight between (laughs) their bricks. And I—and she just has her cute toddler running down the walkway. It's the most. Beautiful moment. And I texted to you and said, I don't think Joanna Gaines weeds this walk. Right. <laughs> I think
1: she has people who do that for her. And right. I was so jealous of right. that moment. Okay, Lisa Joe. So I have a friend to introduce and bring to our conversation. And maybe, not maybe, I feel sure that as we listen to this friend, we listen to this book, probably there'll be some wisdom cast on these questions. Because I feel it too, is this like this intense dispati- dissatisfaction with my garden that is actually a garden of weeds underneath if you look a little closer. And I long desperately for a, a garden without weeds and a life without weeds. If I could zap the four-hour tile store nightmares and the email and the just all the unexpected and the minutiae and the oil changes and the grocery shopping and just all of that stuff, I would. But would I be right to do that? Like, yeah, Do I would know I be enough? A better human? Yeah, w- would would things actually be better? Do I know enough about myself and about the world and and to make a, a, the right choice there? So I, the um, the book I'm bringing to our conversation today pulled it right off of the gardening section of my bookshelves. <laughs> is an old favorite of mine and um before I tell you exactly what it is I'll say that this was a pivotal book for me because when I moved to Maplehurst I had been sort of gardening for quite a while especially in Chicago we were we shared a community a plot in a community garden with friends and so we shared that little space with them in this empty lot and with other community gardeners and grew tomatoes and lettuce and um, peppers and things like that. Not always super successfully because, whoa, the weeds got so out of control. By August, I would be embarrassed to go visit our plot because I didn't <laughs> want the other community gardeners to see that the really super weedy one belonged to me. <laughs> Like I would hope that no one would be there (laughs) or sometimes my dad would come to, my parents would come to visit uh, like late in the summer and my dad would, you know, want to go see the garden plot. And I, I remember distinctly a visit where I was trying to talk him out of it. Like, no, no, let's not go (laughs) because it was so out of control weeds. So I, I had done that kind of gardening and then we moved to Maplehurst and now there was a house with, with land around it. And so even though one of the first things we did is set, we planted apple trees and we set out space for a vegetable garden, um, I, I think I was starting to wake up to this idea of being able to maybe grow other things. But I was still very much in that, I'll call it a farming mentality, and that is not at all to disparage farming. Um, I come from farmers, Farmers are amazing. We need farmers. <laughs> we need good farmers. But the farming mentality for me meant like looking at the land and, and sort of thinking like, what can I get out of it in terms of food and crops? And like productive gardening, you know, where it's um, it's not about, it's not so much about an art form, although productive gardens can be beautiful. Um, but, it, you know, it wasn't about creating a composition. It wasn't about just ornamental plants. Um, it was, yeah, it was more like farm gardening um, until I read this book. So this book is called. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you to say this. I'm making a connection
0: as my children always say that they learn at school connection. I remember how the first gardens you really had were those massive vegetable gardens. They just grew vegetables. They were beautiful. John had, I remember John building the vegetable boxes, the raised boxes when I was writing surprised by motherhood up in your attic Bedroom, so that must have been like twenty, thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, twenty thirteen. And he was building probably. those vegetable gardens, and that was it. That was like it makes sense, right? Oh, you're growing vegetables. It's productive. It's beautiful. You know, it's use it. We use it in food. It makes sense. That's what people grow. And I'll never forget the day when you talked to me, almost guilty. You, you almost like embarrassed, like I was going to judge you, and you said, "We're we're taking down the vegetable garden because I I want to grow flowers." And I remember thinking, is, is that a thing? Like, what do you mean? I don't even understand. And now I can't imagine Maplehurst without its flower garden. That's what it is. And you grow flowers. You don't just grow. Listeners need to know this. So Chrissy doesn't just have the most exquisite, abundant, overflowing flower garden you've ever seen that feels like being in Italy, sitting out in an ornamental garden. She also grows, in the way she used to grow vegetables, she grows now flowers specifically in boxes for cutting. So she has beds of flowers that are not designed to be pretty. They're in the back, so you can't really see them. So she can cut those for her house. So you grow flowers the way other people grow food to nourish your Soul, and it's been so interesting to watch, and also so inspirational. So now I'm curious to discover the book Mm -hmm. that helped you make that turn.
1: Mm -hmm. I think you're going to like this, Lisa Joe, because um, this will mean. You may not think of yourself as a gardener, but this will mean something to you as well. Because the book, ta da, (gasps) listener, I'm turning it around so Lisa Joe can see. It is Tasha Tudor's Garden, and it's a big photo book like think like coffee table book and it has a picture of Tasha Tudor in her garden picking sweet peas so the book is not by Tasha Tudor um, but I feel like we are now inviting Tasha Tudor to the table into the oh, conversation if only we but the, could the yes. book is by Tova Martin who um, was a friend of Tasha's and is a gardener and has written a number of gardening books so she's a if, if anyone here is interested in Seeking Out Other Gardening Books. Tova Martin has some really lovely books. But this is a book she wrote about Tasha and about her garden. And Tasha Tudor, if you don't know, um, was a an artist and a children's book writer and illustrator. Um, she has passed away now, but... For many years, she lived a long life. She um, created books that Lisa Joe and I, that you and I both love, like A Time to Keep and Pumpkin Moonshine. And um, uh, what are some, like all the Corgiville books about her imagined village of little. Corgi dogs and (laughs)
0: Yeah, and what she's famous for really is her paintings, the illustrations in the books, because as I remember, her writing was always very simple, but the painting was very detailed. So if you've if you a lot of listeners I know have heard us talk about a time to keep, which is one of her probably most famous books, where she goes through a calendar year and then illustrates it and describes from her childhood, but really also from her grandmother's childhood what life was like. And I think at the time it was Connecticut that she was writing about, but I
1: know, or, mm-hmm. or maybe it was yeah. Vermont
0: because that's where this, her, that's where her. She, yeah. Her, she definitely ended up in lived.
1: Vermont, but yeah, she may have been living with her children in Connecticut when she was yes, younger. It's a yeah. very new England yes. vibe. Yes. But what's incredible about
0: a time to keep is the illustrations don't, they're not just, like the main focal points on the page, they also are borders on every page. So they're incredibly detailed and just beautiful. Like There's something about like, I want to somehow eat the pages because they're so pretty, like the sugar cookies and the maple syrup tapping and the Valentine's Day parties. And Christy and I, of course, share the dream because in the month that was her mother's birthday, she has this picture of how the birthday cake came floating down the river by candlelight. I mean, it's just like out of, out of a fairy tale is it what it is. looks
1: like. Yeah. I think that's the thing about Tasha is she lived as an artist who was creating these worlds in her books with such detail Um, I learned really from this book, there are images in here of Tasha painting in the garden. So, she drew and painted always from life. So, she was studying flowers and looking at children, um, looking at little animals. Um, She was looking at a world that she had really created around her, that she was cultivating around her. And then that was the source of her art. And as well, Mm -hmm. she lived in a, she really strove to live like a whole beautiful, artful life. So, if she was writing about seasonal rhythms and seasonal foods and seasonal beauty in her books, she was cultivating that in life as well and had a real love for the past. So, she's writing in, you know, say 1950s, 1960s, but she is depicting people who are wearing clothes and living in something that looks more like eighteen. 40s 1850s she would collect antique clothes and wear them so she was like living it it was almost as if she decided and this is a flashback maybe to to last week where we had a bit of sci-fi time you know not time travel so much as planetary travel but it's almost like Tasha Tudor said I don't need scientists to invent a time machine I am just going to do it. (laughs) I'm going to find old things and I'm going to live in old-fashioned ways. So, in Tasha Tudor's garden, uh, we see her home that uh, her son actually built for her as if he was a carpenter like 200 years before. And so, the home is new but built exactly to be like a very old home. She was using old, there's no modern appliances. She's using like an old wood-fired stove. She's wearing antique clothes or things she made herself. So like what you see in the books is now how she is choosing to live in a whole way, how she's surrounding herself. And so for me, um, I'd always loved Tasha Tudor. Now I'm in this old farmhouse. I read this book, I look at this book and and now my world sort of grows a little larger. So instead of just thinking about, The varieties of tomato I maybe want to grow. I'm looking at Tasha's garden and realize in getting this sort of bigger vision for a garden that not only is productive, Tasha's absolutely growing berries and has some veggies and herbs, and she's raising goats and she's milking them herself. She actually, there's a quote from her in this book where she says that she she attributes her longevity, her long life, and her health to um, goat's milk and gardening what she says. yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I think one of the things I noticed right off with the cover of the book is, first of all, it's like she looks like an old lady. I mean, she's not some young cover model. She looks like your grandma, but she actually looks like a grandma from a fairy tale because she's wearing like this kind of old smock dress and a little white crocheted cap. And I think one of the things I've loved about her too is I know that there does in our social media loving world, we do tend to um, lean into things that... Are trendy. And one of the things that can feel trendy is this like, I'm going to live in a more old, natural, I don't even know the words for it, lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But it's staged, is how it feels to me. A lot of the time, it's staged for beautiful photographs or, you know, people that look unattainable. But there's something about Tasha where she wasn't staging anything. It wasn't for public consumption. She was just living in a way that was quietly meaningful to her and she looks like a regular person she does look like a little wizened old grandma from i want to say it's terrible to say like from hansel and gretel because that was a bad character but grandmas are always bad characters somehow in fairy tales (laughs) i don't know why but she does look like a fairy tale Mm -hmm, grandma mm -hmm. but she's living it not to put on a show but because she's doing something I guess I would say this. She's she's stewarding what yeah. she has been given. Yeah,
1: and what she loves. And I think when people do that and do it really authentically to their own <laughs> lives and selves um, – and then and then it shows up in a book. So I never knew Tasha. I ha- I knew her books and her art. I never got to visit her in her Vermont farmhouse, but Tova Martin did and and gave us this book with photographs and and quotes and so on. And so now in this book, I have a chance to kind of go behind the scenes and see Tasha in her own life and place. And um I think to uh, so it's, when that happens now I don't know why we need permission, and maybe not everyone does. But I needed permission, like you said, how I was so tentative about uh, taking down the vegetable garden. I needed permission at this stage of my life to not be productive in every way. Meaning, even my gardening at that point was going to be productive. It was going to feed my family. I was going to can everything and and um, freeze everything. And and I, you know, I tried. I did do some of that. I still do a little bit of that, but it. It didn't turn out to be exactly what I needed to be doing, and Tasha's this book and Tasha Tudor gave me permission to do something different, which was gardening as art gardening as um, creativity. Gardening is like placemaking. So a big part of this book is this place that she's created and the paths. And there's a lot of talk in here about the guests she would have or the family and friends would be over and then how she would sort of orchestrate these experiences for them and how, okay, friends, you're here and we're going to walk to the pond and we're going to do this or and then we're going to go pick berries and we're going to sit wow. under the crab apple tree and wow. I'll paint you or, you know, she was orchestrating, a cultivating a place and experiences. For people and welcoming people into that in a way that is much is different than just sowing seeds and harvesting them and then feeding people. You know there was ornamental gardening and flower growing and especially I remember. So there's a lot in here about her peonies. So you mentioned Tasha's. You know this New England stock and very. You know that I think she would say even in here like they're very practical, very hardworking, very you know industrious and and yet. Um, You know, not frivolous or sentimental, and yet Tasha's peonies, she admits that she is very fond of the very ruffled, very pink, very scented, sort of pom-pom, explosion-type peonies— Um, The ones that even they're so heavy and ruffled that if it rains, they just sort of flop over (laughs) like they can't even hold up their heads. Right. So very impractical flowers. And yet she admits in here like these are the ones I love. So I remember reading that and it was like she gave me permission now to love what I love. Do I love pink ruffled peonies, even though they're impractical and you can't like cook with them? Maybe I do. (laughs) Right. But just seeing somebody who. Uh, yeah i I don't know again i don 't know why I have often needed um someone like that or I have found in a book permission to listen to my myself or permission to pay attention to my own life or permission to think about actually the choices I have rather than just march along doing what I think is expected or what makes sense or what's productive or what everyone else is doing. You know Tasha was very much swimming against the stream in many ways. And uh, and sometimes sort of being acquainted, I think, with that that kind of life, we we realize, oh, am, am I doing, am I going in the direction I want? Am I am I doing the things I want? Like, let me actually stop and think about this. And I'm pretty sure after reading this book, I planted my first big ruffled pink scented peonies. <laughs> I think I would maybe reframe
0: a little bit of how you're describing, am I doing what I want? Because I think we live in a culture that's very much about, I must identify what I want and my fulfillment and me, 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 I, 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 and it makes me so tired. And we forget that we are actually put in a community and part of being in a community is bringing what you have to the community. And so I think I would describe it more like this, that That we are constantly being invited by God to recognize unique gifts that He's put in us. And if they're not like the gifts around us, we are often quick to move past them and think that seems odd. And I think I would would describe you a little bit initially— like an accidental gardener, like you're an intentional gardener now, but you're accidental in the sense that you didn't grow up thinking, I want to be a gardener. This is what I'm made to do. You grew plant, you grew grass seeds on your windowsill. You weren't sure what to do. You thought you should grow vegetables and now you're growing flowers. The journey hasn't been straightforward for you. It's how I would describe myself as a writer. I've always thought of myself as an accidental writer because if writing For a law firm, which is what I used to do, is productive writing, right? It's writing that earns money. It's writing that moves things forward. Writing I wrote for international human rights agencies. Like this is writing that matters. This is writing that feeds people. Like this is writing that does things. Writing for myself would be the equivalent of flower gardening for you. Like writing books or blog posts as I started out, or putting my thoughts on an Instagram post that's really intentional. That kind of writing feels like a waste, you know, like who does that? That doesn't seem productive. And so I think what you and I are learning as we've gotten older, it isn't about asking what fulfills me. It's about asking what is the thing that has filled me? that God is asking me now to give to the community is I think how I would rather describe it. Because when I look at you now, what you're doing is that is what you're doing. God has given you, filled you up with this love and passion for creating spaces that welcome people in. And now when you give that to us, you fill us up. And that's what communities do. And so think that's the distinction between what we try to do as believers and what our culture says well you need to just find your true self and do what works for you no matter how it affects anybody else I hope we are always listening though for a voice that says no I'm inviting you in this community to bring the thing I've put in you and to give it now to give it to other people and I I certainly experience that when I come to Maplehurst
1: Mm -hmm. And while it is fulfilling, I mean, I cannot tell you how many times I have been in my garden, especially in the past couple of years, at those kind of perfect moments, you know, that do sometimes come and just said, oh, God, thank you so much for giving me gardening. Like, this work is so meaningful to me and so satisfying. I can't imagine my life without it. And I never saw it coming and I never pursued it. And so, what a gift. What a privilege. And yet. (laughs) So, there is that. And yet there are weeds. There are armies of weeds. And I they will <laughs> never they will never not stop coming. They will never stop coming. <laughs> right. And uh, and that's true in my garden, which I love and is a work that has been given to me, and I'm so grateful for it. And yet there they are. And um and I'm often, I'll be honest, Lisa Joe, I am often miserable in my garden. Um, I'm often stressed. I Always find it so encouraging yeah, stressed, when you tell these stories. Anxious, overwhelmed, frustrated that I have no help. I feel like if I only had help, if I only wasn't on my own trying to do this, or you know, ang- you know, or, or angry about the weather or the bugs or mistakes I've made, or I mean, it's or just the backbreaking work, like knowing oh, I need to do this task, this job, this chore, and it's so hard. And so that is still there. It's still mm. a part yes, of it. It doesn't magically go away no, just because you love no, what you do. No, no. And so I do our, kind that's of... the worst. That's, yeah.
0: that's just exactly how our lives are. I love that I'm an independent entrepreneur. I love that I work from home. And all the time I think, surely other people who have teams who work with them don't deal with responding to every single email that hits their inbox or the thousands of messages that come in via social media every single day. Like, it is too much. It is overwhelming. <laughs> and yet... I love this job I do, and I think if I could just sit in a solitary world and just write beautiful words all day long and not be interrupted. And guess what? That's not how gardens grow. Gardens grow with peonies and
1: weeds, man. And weeds. <laughs> Both of them. Yeah. And even Tasha Tudor had weeds. And there are moments in the book where I feel like some tr- some of that truth comes out. And if you're a gardener and you recognize the reality, you realize how hard she's working. And even— in some ways like the battle she's fighting in order to to do what she does and and pursue what she does and that it it you know it wasn't always easy for her trying to break into art and book publishing and you know um okay there was no email then maybe so i am envious of that <laughs> but but she's, you know, there were other things, there were other things, and bills to pay, and you know and, and this is what it means to be human and alive on the earth. And we can say, on the one hand, um, "What a privilege to be alive today on this Earth." And also, "Wow, there's a lot of weeds, and someone needs to do something about them, and maybe, maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing today is pulling some weeds. Mhm. And I think that's part of maybe what people
0: don't realize when you post photographs on social media, because if you follow Christy, you know how beautiful her garden is. If you don't follow her, you must go and find her, Christy (laughs) Purifoy on Instagram, and that'll link you to her other accounts, her gardening accounts. But I think people maybe assume, as I have in the past, wow, just look at that beautiful flower. Look at Christy's garden. It's just so magical. Like... Look what God did.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So beautiful.
0: And Christy's like, look what I did. Look what I did.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, that's true. I mean, that is the kind of amazing thing about art or so much of the work that we do, the meaningful, purposeful work that we do, is that we are doing it out of, of course, like raw materials and abundant life um, that God created. So, you know, God created. We read in Genesis about that actually and, and the attention paid even in the chap, first chapter of Genesis to this idea of seed bearing plants. And I love that it even mentions trees. So like day three, I think is. Seed-bearing plants and trees that bear fruit that had seeds in them. <laughs> the idea is like, <laughs> like he got it all so started, important. right? Yes, and and I think there's, and then it, and then it goes to which I think is funny: sun, moon, and stars. So it's almost like the seeds are loom larger in the song than even sun, moon, and stars. Um, and so, like we know that you know we we give praise and honor to to the creator who set it all into motion, and so that we have the raw materials to create, whether we're creating gardens painting paintings raising children ministering to others in our church like you know all the the work that we're called to do um, i think uh, is first of all it's work
0: <laughs> yeah. it's work
1: it's work it may yeah. be good beautiful work but it's work and i think i think we honor god when we acknowledge that and when we and when we honor one another in, in when we see them doing the work so the mom or dad who's got the young kid and um look they brought them out and they're 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 not naked they're wearing you know they've got a fresh <laughs> diaper and they've got clothes on and we know like that may have been a battle this morning right and we say look at you like God may have created life and created that child but look at you doing the parenting and getting them cleaned and giving them a Bath at night, and you know the bathroom ends up soaked, and and all the rest. And now your kitchen's covered in smushy green peas because you're feeding the child, right? So we honor that parent who's doing that tending and that caring and that keeping. And um, the same as we honor the gardener who has looked out at God's world and responded to God's invitation to create something with what's been provided. And from the plant breeders who are breeding new roses and bigger. Bearded irises to the gardeners who are um, designing a space and thinking about what it will be like to experience that space, and they're pulling the weeds and watering things and inviting others into it. So we like we honor God in that, and then we honor God's creation. We're made in His image to do the kind of work that that He has set in motion and that He does as well. And so we honor Him as image bearers when we tend and keep and care well. And, uh, and so the goal, I guess, is not the weed free garden or the weed free life, but just waking up again and inviting God to strengthen us for the work of, of another day of both pulling weeds and sitting, <laughs> sitting a spell. That's what we'd say, I think, back in Texas let's sit a spell in the garden and enjoying, enjoying what we've created together and sharing it with others. So I but guess. I just like
0: that reminder that. You know, there is that invitation. God is inviting us. In the very beginning, that's what He does with Adam and Eve. He invites them to participate in His work. And His work is pictured clearly for us. The first three days, He creates order out of chaos in creation. And the third three days, He fills up the order with life. And then He says to Adam and Eve, do the same. Like, subdue. Like, be fruitful and multiply. And I love that reminder that where we see... Multiplication, abundance, fruitfulness. It's because somebody has said yes to something that God invited them to do. Whatever that is, like whatever business you're building or family you're raising or art you're making or flowers you're growing or book you're writing, someone has accepted an invitation and then God you know, the propagator of life is bringing like fruitfulness to that experience. And it's so wonderful because it is easy for me to passively look at your garden and think, oh, how nice that, you know, God did that. Like, (laughs) But what actually happened is that you were proactive and said yes to God's prompting and invitation in your heart. And then you did a lot of work With God, and you made something beautiful. And I hope for our listeners this week that's just a reminder to to pay attention, not to what your truth is, or (laughs) you know whatever New Agey words we use these days, but instead, like, what is God inviting you to? Like, what is He inviting you to? And what would happen if you said yes? And what does it look like to then participate in the act of growth and creation and creativity with God? And I think sometimes we tend to hyper-spiritualize and think, well, if God asked me to do this, it'll just happen. (laughs) But the reality (laughs) is, as any gardener can tell you, that is just not true. You will, in fact, need to tend the garden. You will need to participate in the work. And I think people, people can sometimes, we can get mislaid in our thinking and think, well, if I had more faith, then this thing would just happen by itself somehow out of the ether. But instead God is saying, no, like participate, send out the resume. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, (laughs)
1: right. Pick up the
0: phone, engage that other business, or talk to that kid, or go and ask somebody to be your mentor or offer to mentor somebody, or you know, write the first draft of the book. Or even if you've had the rejection letters, try again. There's constant participation with God in his created order. You know, last week and the week before, we've talked about this concept of God as you know, deeply creative, but also deeply participatory and raising up with us this sense of being part of his family, and in that sense, like part of a royal family, a family that is given places in his kingdom, which means, though, that we are responsible for the kingdom. And so a lot of that looks as basic as just the annoying list of emails I have to answer today, because that is the honor of getting to pull weeds here in this garden that I'm growing. <laughs> and it's been really helpful for me to be reminded of that. That Last week, we talked a lot about sort of the spiritual world around us. And this week, it's good to remember we are physical creatures. We are here in a material world, and the two overlap. And so we don't discount either. We can't discount the spiritual elements of our lives, but we also can't poo-poo You know, the material elements of dealing with email and day-to-day and chores and errands, and they're no less important, no less worthy, no less holy, because they're part of participating in the act of creating and creating order out of chaos and abundance um, in a world that God has invited us to do just that in since the very beginning.
1: Mm -hmm. And maybe I'll end with, because I know we always slip in a little voice from the book, a little... you know a few words from the book, and so maybe I'll end with um, the beginning of this book, in which Tova Martin tells us about the first time she met Tasha. Ooh! But I'm I'm gonna tell you, it's not maybe what you're thinking. <laughs>
0: Was she crotchety?
1: She says, oh, and and this introduction, the title is A Garden Lost in Time. (laughs) So Tova uh, writes, I met Tasha Tudor the same way that most people make her acquaintance. When I was very young, my favorite aunt paid a visit. And since she worked for a printing house and since we shared a flowing correspondence, she brought a gift of Tasha Tudor stationery. If my aunt hoped for a return note on that writing paper, I am afraid she was sadly disappointed because I refused to part with a single sheet of it. (laughs) Instead, I kept the box squirreled in my desk until the day it accompanied me to college, where all the blank sheets, but only the blank sheets, were used to write letters home." And then she talks about going to work in a greenhouse, and eventually when she actually did meet Tasha in person. But what she's saying is that she met Tasha through the art, the work that Tasha was creating. So, Tasha had uh, painted illustrations that ended up on the stationery that was given to her as a gift. And that's how she met Tasha. And so, we may not be Tasha- painting stationary, but we are sending our, our our work and our efforts out into the world like casting our bread upon waters, and we just don't even know who will be there to receive it, who will be touched by it. Um, even if, and maybe especially if the work seems small, because what do you want to bet that Tasha Tudor really valued maybe her favorite picture book that she created, but the stationary— Did she think about the image that was on a little pack of stationery that some company sold? I doubt it ranked high on her list of life accomplishments, and yet it found its way to Toba Martin as a little girl and inspired eventually her love of gardening and horticulture and garden writing, and then this book. So we just don't even know. Again, we come back to seeds, Lisa Jo. We always come back to seeds. We just don't even know how um, our small seeds, when we plant them and tend them in faithfulness, how they will grow and who will one day eat of that good, good fruit.
0: If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image.
1: And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link.